0: and um, she converted to uh, Catholicism when my parents married because they wanted to raise the kids in the same church. But neither of them really practiced much and neither of them cared a whole lot. They just wanted to agree on something and I think my dad was a little more stubborn. So my mom said she'd try out RCIA. She went through it um, and she was uh, very convicted both by um, the, the kind of truths of the Catholic faith. She's a real intellectual And then also, um, they were both involved, uh, both became involved with the parish in a lot of ministry to the poor. They were serving the mentally handicapped in Minnesota at the time, and she really loved that and got connected with the community. They grew a lot in their faith over the years, and uh, I was raised with a pretty pretty, um, uh, robust experience of Catholic devotion. I went to uh, a Lutheran elementary school, and uh, we... We memorized Bible verses all the time, and uh, my mother, who was raised, uh, as I said, raised Lutheran, was um, very interested in communicating to us a love for the Bible, and I've always grown up with um, that love and been very close to the Scriptures, so Father Brian and I get along pretty well. (laughs) If you haven't seen, he loves the Bible. Um, I love the Scriptures. I've always loved the Scriptures. Um, I went to... Went to Regis High School, and then at Regis High School, out of the blue, um, I had been really searching and asking a lot of big questions about life and about uh, religion. I wasn't absolutely sure about this particular expression of um, or encounter with God. Uh, I had, you know, th- there's the, the kind of issues and doubts that a lot of the young people have, and I was searching, um, but I was very sincere about that and continue to be very prayerful and really took to the sacraments. I um, helped the school um, ask for a priest to come from St. Louis to give us daily Mass and to give us confessions regularly. And uh, that became a very regular part of my life and a very beautiful part of my life. Um, eventually, uh, and I, but I didn't think much about um, kind of the future. And um, eventually, one of the priests asked me... Um, I had, been, I had been doing work to pay for my tuition there, uh, vacuuming rooms after school. And this, this one priest would give me prayer intentions. He'd say, go vacuum this row of, uh, row of classrooms, and then I want you to pray for this, this teacher who's got a, you know, an issue in the family or the student who's struggling or something like this. And um, so he had been doing this for years. And then finally he says, one day he says, I want you to pray about whether you're supposed to be a priest. And uh, vacuum these rooms over here or whatever. <laughs> and I just laughed. I was like, I've never, that's like for old Irish guys. And my, my experience of priests was only old Irish guys. I, had real, I, didn't, I honestly had never thought that that was like a, a, a possibility for life. So I said, yeah, I love God. And I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll pray about that. And uh, while I was vacuuming those rooms, I was filled with a great deal of peace and a great deal of joy, and kind of hope for um, a future of serving God as a priest. And I thought it was crazy. I am a bit of a wild child. Um, I was. I'm trying not to be so much anymore, but (laughs) Uh, I, uh, I, I said I'll go and try to enter seminary and pursue this sort of grace that I felt really... Uh, tangibly, I was very grateful for that. I felt honored by God. But I thought, I'll just go, and then I'll get kicked out in a couple of years and whatever. And I could say I did that. So I went to seminary, and I, I loved it. I learned a lot. Um, I learned to pray there in a very, like, like a deeper way. And um, really got close to God. And um, kind of bit by bit, I was in seminary for nine years, waiting to be kicked out. Um, and growing closer to God and learning um, to really love the, uh, the vocation and to see the vocation of the priesthood um, in a really valuable way. Just like here's a profound service to um, to Jesus, who I love dearly and have always loved, and then um, to His Church. So um, I went to I got I was ordained a priest in 2010, and uh, by Archbishop Chaput. Um, I met Father Brian uh, a couple of years before that, and we talked about starting an association of priests so that we could have priests living together in the future and asking the bishop to assign us together, um, and he became a close friend. But I was ordained in 2010, then spent two years in uh, three parishes on the northwest corner of Colorado, and Craig Meeker and Rangeley, you ever heard of those places? Yeah, a lot of people haven't in Colorado. <laughs> Uh, Just little places. Rangeley is like five minutes from the Utah border. Uh, They were beautiful times. I learned how to fly fish. I was learning to break horses and uh, really enjoying the the parochial life, meeting people and watching God work in their lives and everything. Uh, And then uh, it's the furthest you can be sent in our Archdiocese of Denver, away from Denver proper. And I thought they were trying to get rid of me, and that was the furthest they could send me. And then the bishop called and he said, I want you to go to Rome. And study for a few years um, and then come back and teach in Denver. So um, I didn't know kind of what to expect but I have spent the last six years in Rome um, studying Scripture at the Pontifical Biblical Institute, the Pope's Bible School, and um, have always loved Scripture so it really felt providential. Um, I did a a license there, I studied archaeology in Jerusalem for six months I studied um, a lot of languages in the history of scripture and the world, um, different religions that were existing around the time when the Bible was written, and, um, and then have taught and worked on a doctorate for a couple of years, um, in, for, for the last couple of years. So I've been teaching Greek uh, language, Greek grammar. So I've become a very boring teacher. <laughs> Um, and I'm hoping to break that, but you're going to have to bear with me and be patient because I'm getting back into kind of parochial life and uh, the real world, the regular world. Um, but it's a great privilege to be at Lourdes. I think it's, a, it's an awesome parish. I'm really excited about what's happening here with uh, the school and with the, with the young people, the parish itself. And then um, Father Brian is extremely proud of the RCIA crowd. Uh, he just is, he loves teaching, for one. But he um, has a lot, a lot of respect for um, those who are in this class. And a lot of the great questions and the discussion. And um, so I'm excited to fill in for him. I'm also a little intimidated because it's kind of his baby. <laughs> and I don't want to screw it up. Uh, how's the sound? Is that good? Good sound? Okay. Father. Father Brian also said that I'm supposed to be drinking a beer while I teach this class. Uh, there's beers and wine over here. Uh, they taste great. Colorado's got great, great, great brews. I've been in Italy. The wine is fantastic, but the beer, a little subpar. So it's nice to be back to Colorado. Uh, we'll see how this jives with the antibiotics. <laughs> but that's, that's back a couple of days. All right, so Father Brian. now, I'm not sure exactly uh, kind of where you've been in this course, so you're gonna have to forgive me if I'm a little redundant with some of the teaching. Um, The ancients, I think it was Seneca, are you Latin scholars? I think it was Seneca who said that, uh, repetitio mater memoria est, that repetition is the mother of all study, okay? So I don't mind repeating a few things, but let me know if you say, "Come on, get out of here, and let's let's talk about something else." Father Brian uh, suggested that I talk about tonight um, why we need religion. I think it's a real good question. It's a question that a lot of people are asking. You know, can't I have a, a relationship with God uh, if if I don't have religion? Uh, can't can't I be a good person if I don't have religion? Um I think that you can basically answer that in the positive, and people know it. They know they don't you don't have to have religion to be a good person. you can behave well, act well as a human being, learn lessons from life. Um, okay, so then why religion um, do i do I have to have religion? To relate to God? Um, or maybe the question people tend to, t- tend to pose is, do I have to, to know that there's a God or believe that there's a God? And I think you've kind of gone through some of the arguments about that um, so far, no? Um, some, some stuff about like just why is it rational for human beings to accept the, the, uh, the prospect that there is a God and um, that that God would be, somehow be involved with creation and uh, the world that we live in, right? Um, but I would argue that, no, if you don't have some religion, uh, you really can't know that God. Not, you, can't know, you can't relate to that God, and you can't come to know that God. You can know things about that God. You can know that that God exists, uh, but you really don't know who that God is. You might say, okay, that God is the one, the beautiful one, uh, because he's the one who made the sunset. I think that's true. You can know things about God. Um, St. Paul in Romans 1 says, you ought to know, he's talking to people who have not encountered the revelation that he, that he knows of as a Jew and as a religious person. He's talking to other, other religious people who have different ideas about God. He says, you ought to know the truth about the one God who created everything just by looking at nature and looking at the world you can come to know that. And I think that's some of the arguments that you've gone through, some of the rational arguments, right? Okay, Um, so I'm gonna talk about why, I'm gonna propose uh, two major reasons why I think we need religion, and I do. I think we need religion. I think religion is wonderful and it's beautiful and it's underrated uh, these days and for a lot of people, but um, I think we actually need religion. Okay. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose two reasons. Uh, one is simply that human beings, that is us, uh, need religion to relate to God. It has something to do with who we are, the way we are, the way we think, the way we approach the world, the way we encounter life, the way we live. Um, somehow it needs religion. Okay? And then the other point I'm going to make is that God needs religion in order to fill fulfill a plan that God has for the world and for the universe. And this is a real strange Christian claim. And so I want to, I want to get through and kind of lead up to it before I make that potentially more controversial point. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll get there. We'll sort it out. Okay. Um, First, what is religion? First, I'm just defining the terms. When I say religion, I'm thinking of the etymology of the word that means like the the origin it comes from a a two-part latin word one is re to 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 do again and the other has something to do with connect Um, it comes from a a verb that means to bind or to connect so when we when i use the word religion and when most in the west use the word religion we're talking about some system that is intended to connect god and human beings, um, and in some, with with some claim that this needs to be redone. That the the connection itself has some problem in it, and that there's 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 this religion thing that's required to connect the human beings and God. Okay, now religion is very complex. It means a lot of things, but it's at at, at at bottom, the f- fundamentally it's talking about a system of belief and a, si- a system of activities that help us to relate to um, what we 're trying to relate to with God, okay God on this side, I could write it in, but um, just like the link you get you get that to reconnect the human beings with whatever is out there, you know okay. Uh, I I don't think it's controversial to to, uh, propose that human beings have always been religious. Some of the oldest artifacts that we know of in human history are religious artifacts. Do you know? Well, I looked up some of the oldest artifacts in human history. The the oldest things are, um, do you know what they are? Can you guess? The The oldest artifacts in human history. What's the oldest stuff we can find? I'm kind of a historian. OK. Yeah, OK, so we can guess at ages. Shaped rocks, that's good. Tools and weapons. That's the oldest things that we can find. Shaped rocks, yeah. Sometimes some beads in caves. Um, yeah, beads, like decora- decorative uh, outfits. Um, things made out of stone that, pe- that people have carved. Um, they, we assume that they're, they're valuable to people for some reason, right? Obviously, tools and weapons are. These things, uh, the oldest artifacts that we know of, are between 1.76 million and 2.5 million years old. Okay? Real old. And they say something about human beings. Um, that's about all we can see about human beings for a long, long time. Very simple things, like there's these kind of stone artifacts and there's weapons. Eventually, you get into, about 3,000 years ago, you get into metal, metal making, and then you get more sophisticated tools and, and artifacts and jewelry. Around that time, um, well, potentially, potentially early, around, we'll, we'll say around 3,000 B.C., um, we start to find all kinds of religious art and artifacts. So you find uh, things that were put in temples, um, statues, character, character, little, little figurines and characters. There's controversial characters about 10,000 years ago that are fertility dolls. I don't know if you've ever seen any of this. If you studied um, this uh, anthropology and history, you have a lot of these fertility dolls. And we're not exactly sure if they were religious of nature or if they just had to do with the human experience, you know. People thought if they kind of meditate on fertility, then it might help them um, procreate. That's, you know, potentially, that's what they are. Most of these are called uh, Venus statues. That relates them to religion, and a lot of people think that it's, uh, they're possibly religious statues, that they had ideas about um, gods being able to help with the fertility as well. So we're not sure about 10,000 years ago, but there's potential that there's artifacts from then. There's certainly artifacts from 3,000 years ago, and in every culture that we know of, every human culture, we find ideas and expressions of religion. Um, Sometimes these are um, kind of spaces, ritual spaces. Uh, Stonehenge is one of the more mysterious, but there are some that are very clear, that they they were meant to relate people to the gods. Um, They have sometimes figures that are looking up in the sky or offering uh, incense or animal sacrifices or all kinds of ways. So the reason I I mention that is because um, I believe with most uh, scientists uh, that human beings have always had an inclination toward religion. Now religion is a part of human life as long as we've been expressive and uh, been able to, as long as we can see, a record of human history. So there's some really old cave paintings uh, that have uh, hunting scenes and bulls and things like this. Um, they, there are some expressions of um, kind of divine features or weird characters that look, you know, there's conspiracies about aliens and things like this in Indonesia and in France and all of these different places. I tend to interpret these things as religious expressions. Okay, there's a question in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's tough. That's the fun part. I think that religion, in its uh, in its human expression, connects with two major. Um, kind of interests in the human being, and um, one is a sort of artistic expression human beings what, part of what defines human beings on the anthropological stage is is art is this engagement with the rest of the world, and an attempt to express um, kind of what people are thinking and how they encounter the world by um, creating sort of imagery and I think uh, Part of it is just this, this um, expression of how human beings are encountering a mysterious world and saying, How can we explain the things that we can't explain? And how can we relate to the things that we know are powerful outside of us that we're trying to relate to? Okay, so it, this takes expressions, very different expressions, in a lot of different cultures. Some people worshiping trees, some people worshiping animals. Some people um, making statues and coming up with these gods and everything. I think it's all very fascinating and all a part of trying to connect. What does it mean to be a human being, and how do we explain all this mysterious stuff that goes on around us? Okay, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna say a little bit more about that in this uh, in this next in this next point. First, the first is just um, that there's a religious instinct. I think, this is, I think this is true, and I just challenge you to look around, uh, dig into history, uh, ask questions to people. I think like birds that just know to flock south, human beings have an instinct for the religious, that we have a sense that there's something else out there, and we want to relate to it. Yeah. well, I think i I mean I think it's it's dangerous to reduce it to human invention, and I think i mean that's been that's been argued, and I'm going to try to get up to a sort of modern take on religion um, and in the modern world, you have a lot of voices that are saying this is an ar- archaic expression of human beings wrestling with mystery. So we come up with myths, we invent gods, um, we ascribe spirits to the river and to the tree and all of these things. It's the creativity of the human mind. And I think there's something to that. I think that's beautiful. And that's why I mentioned that it's kind of an artistic expression, that there is something about the genius of the human being wrestling to know the truth and to uh, explain this world that we're just kind of uh, appear in. You know, and um, now the reason I say instinct, though, and I like this, is because I also think it's it's important for us to consider that we're made for this, and that it's not simply a phenomenon of we evolved into something creative enough to create gods that sort of project what we want into uh, into the world to sort of make ourselves happy and to explain things that we don't understand, okay? So I don't think, I, I think it's part of God's plan and how we've been created. I think it has something to do with the, the human soul, that it longs for God and it reaches for the gods, right? That it's religious, okay? And yeah, this this will evolve. We'll see that kind of evolve in different expressions over time, okay? Okay, so... You, there's a religious instinct in human beings and part of it is a response to the human predicament itself. So, part of it is a psychological response, I believe, to three great problems. I'm, I'm a student of, um, have been a student of world religions for a long time. One of my favorite uh, authors is called Houston Smith, do you know about him? Yeah, he's, he was a professor in Berkeley um, and is now emeritus, he's retired, but um, for a long time, he was writing books about the, the world's great religions. And I love studying religion. I think it's a fascinating phenomenon. And um, and he really appreciated the depth of religions. Now, he was committed to none of them. He's really a syncretist. He's just kind of an an, an, an asthete. He just says he sees the beauty in all these religions. But he, he knows them very well. And he's worth, he's worth studying. His, one of his students uh, is... Went, went to Berkeley with him, went on a lot of travels around the world to study religions, um, decided that he wanted to stay in Japan, became a Zen master after years of uh, life in a monastery, then um, felt a deep conviction that, that he was not satisfied with this and that there was something to his, his uh, Christian upbringing. Comes back to California joins a Russian monastery, and then eventually becomes a Jesuit priest. Um, He's a friend of mine called Raymond Goronsky, and he learned in the course of all of that travel uh, a lot about world's religions and uh, what Christianity can say to the rest of the world's religions. Um, He's since died um, just a couple of years ago. God rest his soul. Good man. Um, But he's got a book that I recommend called Word and Silence, um, if you're interested in world's religions, and this is very tough. Uh, I, this is challenging. You should know a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of theology, and you should have about uh, 300 years of wrestling with experience. <laughs> uh, great book. So Goronsky, in his book, and one of the things that he taught me, um, was that there's three major longings, three major problems in, uh, for human beings. And he he argues, along with, um, well, through his studies, and then along with a, a, a theologian called Hans Urs von Balthasar, that every human has to deal with longing, with death, and I have to look again, and with guilt, yeah, guilt. Okay. So... Uh, this is an argument. I mean, it's a theory, but I think it's a pretty good one. I'd like you to test it on your experience and ask around, discuss it with people. Uh, he he thinks that a lot of religion comes out of the human beings wrestling with uh, the fact that we feel like there's something out there, and I want to connect to it. Whether that's at something like love, that's abstract, or whether that's something um, that's like beyond which is kind of how a lot of the religions kind of come to be formed, Uh, we're longing for something, that human beings are longing for something. That might be something like the religious instinct that I was talking about. The other problem is that we die. And um, we actually mourn death. We don't like death. We see it as a problem. Uh, The rest of the animals might mourn. I I was listening to a a CPR kind of, uh, what report about the Bush's dog. Did you hear that, Bush's dog? And there's a nice picture of this, of this help dog who was real sad at the coffin of a bush. And I think it's true that um, animals can, can feel something of loss, but they don't get all caught up and bothered by death. They don't try to fight it a whole lot, and they don't stay preoccupied with it for a long time. Human beings, for some reason, do. We don't like it. We don't feel like it should happen. And especially when you love somebody, you say, they shouldn't end. That's not how this should work. There's something about their spirit that's so unique that it should last forever. You know? And maybe that's well, like, well-wishing, and sentimentality, but it's a problem. Okay? Uh, finally, we've got this problem that is guilt. Uh, a, a lot of us, you know, as hard as we try to be perfect, we can't be perfect, and um, there's been lots of problems. Uh, human beings fighting each other for a long time, hating each other, um, struggling to kind of control ourselves and be at peace. That's like the history of of our lives, and we feel like that sh- that that shouldn't be, that uh, it doesn't belong. Okay, so uh, so Garansky says that. Because of the problems of longing, death and guilt that are particularly human, um, human beings have basically reached out for the gods, reached out um, in, with religious expression for help. We need help. We need help to connect with something. We need help to transcend death, you know? Uh, most of the theories of afterlife or ideas about afterlife throughout history are somehow connected with religion, um, and because we can't really fix this problem where when my self stops, it decays and falls apart, and then I turn into bones, and I look like bones in a few days, few years. Okay, so death can be remedied possibly by this religion thing. And then, uh, and then guilt. We need help from outside, and um, we can't seem to get it, even though we keep trying to figure out how to be perfect and how to arrange our lives in our society. Okay. All right. So those are reasons why we need religion to relate. Uh, well, maybe just we we need religion, um, or we need we need the gods. Um, religion is that human uh, longing and that human way of trying to access that world of the gods. Okay? Do you see any... I'm going to show you a video that, that uh, kind of expresses this in a somewhat different way, but is uh, the, pretty, the kind of the standard way of looking at this problem. Okay? Ready for a video? I keep talking. I'm not doing a lot of like questions and stuff, but I didn't realize that how long it would take to get through that. ha. <laughs> This, I didn't make this video. I found this video on YouTube. <laughs> it's like if anybody wants to know and to start on their own studying things, um, they're going to often go to the YouTube and just Google what is religion or where did religion come from, something like that. And here's, here's an attempt from I think some professors that um, drew up this video. this one. Uh oh. Ah, voila. Yep, there
1: we
0: go. Origins of religion, the caveman.
1: They call themselves the people and thought that strangers were creatures of another sort, less human than they. They believed that if they ate the flesh of a strong beast, they might acquire its spirit. Or, if they ate a portion of the body of a leader who had died, they might acquire his special qualities. They assumed that the sun and moon they saw moving across the sky were animate beings. A face of a dead person they knew and recognized in the peculiar shapes on the face of a rock was associated with the living spirit of that person dwelling within that rock. With no defined difference between spirit and materiality, they believed that in preserving a corpse, they were also helping to preserve the spirit of one who had died. They believed that a body went limp at death because the spirit that had been within it had left it for the invisible world of the spirits. They felt no urge to meld these ideas of spirits and materiality into a consistent picture. People correctly associated their own movement with their will, and they believed that all movement was the product of will. They saw insects as moving by will. They assumed that plants grew because of a will within. They saw the sun, moon, and stars as closer than they really were, and as moving by will. For Stone Age people, will was spirit, and they saw the world as filled with many spirits, or to use another word, gods. They saw gods within everything that moved. There was a god within the wind and another god within the rivers. A god in the ocean made the waters rush to the beach and then retreat. The sun was a...
0: Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to load quick. All right, you all have YouTube. You can check it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I wanted to show you, though, that I I don't think... I, I don't think... I don't think to be a Catholic, you have to deny the, the kind of profound and uh, long history of uh, human desire for the gods and for our, our kind of creativity in, in, in coming up with ways to explain life and the gods and religion and to come up with practices that relate ourselves to those to those gods unfortunately we didn't get to some of the ways that we um, some of the ways that we do that is with sacrifices they said a little bit if you if you eat the blood of of some uh, animal you get some of its uh, you get some of its power you can sort of transcend death Um, if you uh, make certain sacrifices you say certain prayers you do certain rituals you can uh, kind of win the favor of the powers that are beyond, and they might help you to feel better about life. Um, If you um, consider that your ancestors to have entered a sort of spiritual realm and become gods themselves, you can um, connect with the beyond somehow and transcend death. There's all kinds of different ways, and I invite you to go look at um, various expressions of religion. Uh, In the Second Vatican Council, do you know about the Second Vatican Council? The bishops got together, the Catholic bishops, all the leaders got together in the, uh, in the 60s. And they said, what does it mean to be Catholic in the modern world? And they wrote one document called Nostra Aetate that says, well, one thing that we can say about being Catholic in the modern world is that we can appreciate and honor the best things about all the religions in the world. And, we can, that, and, and that we're not afraid of that, and that they can all relate somehow to the mystery of Jesus Christ, what we consider the fullness of the encounter with God and of uh, the sort of best of religion, okay. But I think it's I think it's important to point out that we don't mind honoring um, all the good. So, um, what are the big kind of the what are the biggest uh, expressions of religion that have stood the test of time? Uh, you have five major religions at this point. Um, and over the course of the last 5,000 years, really, that sort of took over the whole picture of religion. You used to have all kinds of religions going on um, with different expressions. Some of those religions are still going on in, uh, in the Amazon. There's mixes of, of um, tribal religion in Africa with, um, with Christianity or with Islam. There's all kinds of like, pieces throughout history, but there's now five major religions. First one is uh, Hinduism. That's that's the oldest one, um, that is really took over a broad sweep of people. Um, its claims, primarily, are that everything is connected in as one energy that we call God. That we are a part of that God. That all of the animals are that there's that everything is sort of connected to this uh, this great energy that that's called God. Um, they call it. Um, Atman Brahma, this sort of desire for the human being or their religion is really directed at connecting the human being with the greater uh, reality of the energies of uh, this kind of divine energy that is the universe. Um, They also have lots and lots of different ways to do that. So you can either do lots of different kinds of yoga practices um, but also um, worship lots of different gods that have particular expressions that help human beings to relate with their particular interests and their particular problems, okay? Uh, it's fascinating. I encourage you to go and find out about, about Hinduism. I think it's, um, it's got a lot of beauty and profound rituals. One of my favorite is that they have a big party and festival at one point where they just throw colored chalk at each other and they get all colorful. Uh, to honor the, the beauty of creativity, human creativity, and the beauty of the world. Um, there's also a lot of practices in Hinduism. There's some of the last ones uh, that are still sacrificing lots of animals. Um, and it's a fascinating question to ask. Like, what does, that, what does that do for a human being? Like, why? Like, why do people still want to do this? Okay. Um, Hinduism gave an answer to all these problems, but um, it didn't it didn't fix any, any, anything about the, the human uh, suffering and condition. So you had a, a Hindu guy come along named Buddha, uh, Siddhartha Gautama, who leaves his princely uh, position and goes out in the street, and then he says, the big problem with life is suffering. And our religion doesn't really fix that. It makes happy moments. It connects us and makes us feel like the go- maybe the gods aren't going aren't to fight us. They're not going to make problems for us. We can have defenders in life, but uh, we need an escape from suffering. So uh, Buddhism claims that in fact, in the end, what seems like everything is one and connected turns out to be that everything is really nothing, that there's no reality to anything. And the secret to life and feeling good about life, escaping the problems and the suffering in life, is that you detach from the sense that anything is important, that anything is real, and you try to reach this state of absolute detachment, where you can say, nothing is real, nothing matters, I don't matter, my thoughts don't matter, my problems don't matter, my life doesn't matter, and you, re- you reach this point of, of absolute tranquility uh, that they call nirvana. nirvana you know? it's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting um, kind of solution. But it, it primarily denies that there is anything that we would, we would call God. Um, you could talk to Buddhists. Some, I, I, if you go, especially to the East, where it's not really mixed with Western ideas, um, they'll just tell you that you've got to stop saying God. You've got to stop thinking God. There's really nothing. And you'll be better off if you, you kind of detach from this sense. Uh, but it, it has religious practices as well. You, uh, you spin wheels as prayers. You go to the monastery and you meditate. You, you do something like prayer where you uh, do chanting and things like this to sort of still yourself and to forget all your worries. Okay, that's one solution. Um, then along comes um, this little group of uh, Hebrews, the Israelites, who say that God is talking to them, is revealing things to them, and um, that there's really only one God. So we claim that they're the first monotheists, and I think that's true. Um, that there's only really one God, and that that God has a plan for the world, and that plan involves um, picking this little people, having a special love and relationship with them, and then making them an example for the rest of the world about how to relate to God. Okay, And so that's, that's Judaism. That's the heart of Judaism. Out of Judaism comes this guy, Jesus. Um, who says, this is? yes, this is, this is it. God does have a plan. God wants to relate to the people, but not just to the Jews. He wants to relate to everyone in the world. And um, in fact, he wants to make himself present in the world. So Jesus, uh, or the followers of Jesus, everybody claims that this guy is actually God who has become a human being. And now people can relate to God by relating to this human being, Jesus, okay? Uh, 600 years later, uh, this guy, Muhammad says, that's crazy, God is totally different than we are. So there, there was confusion that Jesus is, is actually just a prophet and then his followers confused things and made up that he was God. But of course, he, God can't be a human being, so that makes no sense. And he basically proposes uh, a universal, uh, of a universal a universalizing, what is that word? Universalizing of the Jewish idea that that God is a personal kind of singular being um, that's transcendent and beyond us, but somehow wants to relate to us by giving us a way of life, uh, some rules, a pattern of life that's going to um, kind of make our life as tranquil as possible, our world as perfect as possible, and then after we die, we'll be rewarded for following that, that God. Okay? Five major religions. All right. You get, you get a break now, no? Um, give me some questions about religion and how human beings have attempted to relate to, uh, to the gods.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I wanna go that way,
1: but that I correct myself when I go back. You know?
0: Yeah, I I mean the interesting thing is, okay, so you do have a lot of new atheists. You might even call that the new religion, um, or the new proposal for a new religion. Um, and I say religion, they obviously wouldn't love the word religion, but I say religion because it proposes a system of belief to answer some of the same problems of uh, the human condition. But for most atheists, the proposal is just human beings invented gods. We invented this whole system. All the religions are the invention of human beings. Uh, They propose two major problems with following religion. One is religions are divisive. They actually cause people to hate each other, and we shouldn't have them. Um, the other is that it's, it's just not true. It's mythology that we've proposed to feel good about life. You remember uh, Marx saying that, that religion is the opiate of the people, right? Um, those, are the, those are the proposals. And so they say, instead of trying religion, we should attempt to build the world uh, perfectly ourselves. And so um, you still have to deal with all these problems. Uh, but the solution tends to be let's jettison religion and then come up with better ways to um, make peace with death and figure out how to transcend problems in the world and guilt and fighting and we can just resolve all that. Um, But we have to stop being preoccupied with this. Now, that's a new theory and a lot of people are taking to it. A lot of people live as practical atheists. They say religion is just not going to matter to my life. But I, this is a very new thing, and I've found a lot of unhappy atheists, (laughs) and uh, people who live without a lot of hope, and can't really explain how they're anything except, like, an expression of the universe's chaos that just happens into the world, has to survive, and then kind of dies. And there hasn't been a great organized effort to really push the humanist vision um, and propose something that's more profound than the religious. Um, and I think ultimately because they're just wrong. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I think t- time, time will prove that. I think people are still religious in spite of the, the frustrations and doubts posed by modern problems. I see a lot of people who live religion as an opiate. I see a lot of people who live religion um, with some very, very um, silly ideas about kind of life and about other people. And they, so, sometimes they can be very contentious and very judgmental and all of these problems. Um, I can't leave it yet. <laughs> and I'm going to get to the second point um, about why I think God needs religion and I propose that as a sort of answer to your question, because I do think that's the big question now. It's um, when I find myself not entirely satisfied, um, because we're still grasping as human beings to try to figure this out. We've been, the Christian believes that we've been given a lot of tools in order to relate to God by Jesus and that that's going to help us. So we have kind of a better path. We have a path carved by the other side, by God's side, and revealed to human beings. So it's no longer just the invention of trying to come up with the best ways that we can do it. Um, but I do think there's going to be a lot of dissatisfaction and frustration and wondering in anybody's life. And I think that the, the sort of um, either why don't I spend my life trying out all of these major religions? You're never going to find the perfect one. Um, But maybe you find, you know, a lot of people go searching to try to find something that feels different or feels better or whatever. Or ultimately, like, why don't I just go with the secular vision, um, which I find kind of just dissatisfying and that uh, is maybe just still too young, but might just be wrong. Um, you could end up just watching football and finding your escape in, you know, in, in the Broncos and in, um, other ways of honoring, honoring something and feeling better about life and being kind of um, pushed ahead. That Broncos is kind of a weird example, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? What do you say to people who say I don't have a religion, I have a faith, and just go off of that in their personal life? I, I think it's uh, wishful thinking most of the time. I, I, I think the God that I know um, through Jesus Christ is a, a very loving God who's very merciful and who, who loves people and doesn't treat us... He, he isn't... Um, I don't know. He's not threatened by our struggling to understand something. This is a God who created humanity and then watched for hundreds of thousands of years for us to try to figure something out about God and to relate to God. So when I meet people who are struggling and say, I'm not into religion, but I have faith, I usually uh, kind of question that, ask, what does that mean to you? And then try to affirm what they're uh, connecting with. So I got a friend, Billy, who is like one of my best friends. And he says, I don't like religion. Um, but I have faith. And I say, what, what, What's your faith? Like, what, what does that even mean? Like, what are you? Faith usually means believing in something, right? Believing in something maybe transcendent. And he's the, the, the best answer he can give me is, I believe in the mountain. I have faith in the mountain. And I think he's connecting with something beautiful there. I think he's connecting with one of the best things in his life. I think he is actually relating to God who loves him, and I think God is speaking to him somehow uh, very rudimentally in, uh, in the mountain. But I think he could come to know the one that he's seeking so much more if he came to know Jesus. And um, for that, he would, he would need mediation. And that's where we're going to go with um, kind of why do we need religion and why do we need a church um, to, relate to, to relate to God. Does that make sense with the, the faith? I, I don't, I'm, I've grown to a point, it's been hard, but I've grown to a point where I am try not to be judgmental and condescending uh, with a question like that. I've studied religion for a long time, so um, I can't expect everyone to have had that, you know. Most of those people are coming from experiences that are disappointing to them somehow with religion. Yeah. And I understand, like Father Brian, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I can't answer that one. You've got to ask him. not Father Brian, but um, why, why does it take so long? Why is it so hard to access God? Why did it take so long in human history? I think the best reason, the reason that I, or or kind of my best answer for you is um, basically what I've presented, that there's something, there's something that God loves and respects about our little efforts. When a parent has a kid draw a little picture, some kid showed me this like mermaid she drew the other day and it was not it didn't look like a mermaid. It was like a pretty shoddy attempt at drawing a mermaid, <laughs> but it brought great joy to my heart to see that kid learning to to draw, to become an artist, to use her creativity in a way that is really impressive because she's so small, you know? She's just a little artist. And I think there's something my, my best guess is that God really, really loves us in a way that lets us really struggle with things and piece things together because he's proud of the way that human beings have uh, collectively begun to figure this out and reach for God. All of these expressions of, of a desire for God, I think, are very beautiful to God. And they're attempts to reach out. Um, and I think it's like the parent who, who patiently waits for their kid to be, um, to kind of relate in, an, in, in, a, in a more adult and mature way. Um, I don't know. I, is that, that's, I, that's, a t- that's a tough question, and I think it's a beautiful one. I've wrestled with that one for a long time, too. Yeah. Okay, uh, should we take a break? And then I'll tell you about why I think God, are we done? Okay. Well, you want to take a break? No. We can get to the all right. We can get to the other part. If you want a break, go to the bathroom, go outside for a smoke, drink a beer, whatever you do. Uh, that's cool. I join you, but I, I'm going to teach a little more. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. So the other part. So you got human beings reaching out for for a long time, trying to trying to reach these. Um, just trying to make sense of the world, um, trying to articulate these things. If you, if you study these religions, I mean, it really is beautiful. Like if, if you look into Hinduism, you, you, you de- develop a deep appreciation for these people and their cultural expressions. It feeds beautifully into the production of art, to music through history, uh, through people's attempts to, to wrestle with what does it mean to be good and how to be good. Um, all kinds of different ways that it's it's sort of ennobled uh, human beings, and I think there was an invitation uh, that was built into us that is um, an invitation for um, for wrestling with this stuff, to to kind of live that, to 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 think these profound thoughts. Um, now we're we're pretty limited. Um, we can't, get to, we can't figure it all out. Um, we've done our best to figure it all out and to make sense of the world, but we can't figure out, in the end, a perfect way to relate um, to God. So uh, the, the, uh, the Christian story became, or, or the Christian doctrine, sort of what we teach, uh, really relies on this idea that because we can't reach God, as hard as we try, um, because we don't have access to God, because we have the way that we learn things, that we know things, is physical. It's through our senses. It's through hearing things, it's through touching things, smell, taste. Am I missing any? Dance. Uh, uh, it's, it's the senses. That's what we are. That's how we come to know. And God is not material. God is not a creature um, like ourselves. You can't touch God. You can't see God. So there's a claim. The Christian claim is uh, this is a bold and difficult claim. You got to wrestle with. Um, it's as bold and difficult as the fact that the universe is as big and crazy as it is, and beautiful, and that your life and the lives of people around you are as. Um, amazing and beautiful and intricate as they are, Um, but this is a big, it's a big claim on the religious scale, that is that God becomes a human being um, in order to relate to us and to finally bring us um, back into this relationship, to kind of make religion what it's meant to be, not simply our attempt, uh, our feeble attempt to fly up to the heavens, but um, God's condescending to be with us, that love. Um, the end of John's prologue, which I encourage you to read, uh, John 1, is, says, says this. No one has ever seen God. Well, I should say it starts with this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says further on, about three-quarters of the way into the prologue, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. No one has ever seen God. The only Son, God, who is at the Father's side, has revealed Him. So this is the basic claim of uh, the beginning of John's Gospel and the basic claim of Christianity: that there is no that it's 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 impossibly difficult to know God because we can't see God and we can't taste God and we can't touch God. But if God reveals himself through um, becoming a human being, dwelling with us, then we can somehow get a sense of God. Um, And John's Gospel goes on. If if you're curious about this point, read John's Gospel. Jesus gets to the point where he says, The Father and I are one. If you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. The bold claim of Christianity from the start was that encountering this person of jesus you are actually encountering god you're getting as close as you can to god and not not simply like the the holiest guy the most impressive guy the one who knows god the most but god himself that this is actually an encounter with god himself now these guys were either idiots or crazy or they had a very very profound experience of god in the encounter of christ um yeah, it's beautiful. From the start, um, if you pay attention to that Jesus and you, and you watch how the, these, um, these Christians relate to Jesus, um, you get to see him sharing his life and his mission with them, sharing his own ideas with them, teaching them. Uh, it was a profound time of encounter, and it's, it's beautiful to read the Gospels, no? Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Imagine walking with Jesus. Imagine knowing Him, hearing His voice, watching Him do miracles, um, seeing Him confront death and suffering with His peace, hearing Him from the cross say, forgive them all. They don't know what they're doing. And then watching Him rise from the dead, um, which ultimately became like the most profound claim. This guy who claimed to be God Who should have just died and fallen apart, Um, whatever's out there and that's beyond, that's after death, um, what Jesus was calling his father, God the Father, the kingdom of heaven, this this greater reality, uh, actually brought him back from death. And that had never happened. That doesn't happen. That's not meant to happen. Um, They encountered Jesus in the resurrection. So these are the big claims of Christianity. One, that God became a human being to be with us. And two, that Jesus rose from the dead, historically rose from the dead, that this guy died, and then the great beyond, God beyond, brought him back from the dead and sent him back. He comes back, he speaks with them for a while, and then we run into a huge problem. Uh, What's the problem? Why, if... All of human history is longing for God. Uh, What's the problem that happens after the resurrection? What is it? He goes away. Jesus is the only revelation of God. His very presence is the presence of God in the world. He doesn't tell them to write anything down. He doesn't tell them kind of how to relate, you know, we, we struggle to figure out exactly what Jesus is, like, what is he going to pass on? And he goes away. Everybody wants to relate to this guy. Where is he now? Right? You want to know God, you've got to know Jesus. Where is he? Well, he went to heaven. <laughs> that doesn't help me. <laughs> That's great for them. That's great that there was an experience of, 12, like, 12 people or 300 people or... 10,000 people in a crowd at one point in history. But now he's gone, and I want to know God. Right? I want to connect to God. Everybody has always wanted to connect to God. Hundreds of thousands of years, and this guy is gone. (laughs) So uh, we had a point of the incarnation. There's a word incarnation. Do you know that word? We use this word. This means in the flesh, incarnate, if you're a Spanish speaker or you like tacos, Carne asada <laughs> is that, like, grilled meat that's so good. And it's an old Latin word that means flesh. In the flesh, that's a word, it's a theological word that means God became a human being and was with us, or is with us. But that's complicated, right? Okay, Jesus is the incarnation that's God and human beings, like, together. And that's a huge mystery. I don't know. If you, if you exactly figure that out, then let me know. But you can have a real experience of this if you could meet Jesus, right? Um, And you could come to know the Father. So through Jesus, uh, human beings have access to God. God, this one that we've always longed for, but specifically the God that Jesus reveals is a, a Father, a loving Father. That's part of what Jesus' claim was, that wasn't entirely unique, had something to do with uh, the Jewish theology and a Jewish claim, the relationship that they had with God. But he says, you've got to relate to God as a loving father. And then he's also um, a person who's filled with the spirit of God. And so there's like kind of this third thing that's... Sort of hard to explain and hard to understand uh, it was for the people who were around him. But um, soon after Jesus goes away, he goes up into heaven, and then in the Acts of the Apostles, and uh, throughout the early church uh, literature, throughout Paul's literature, you hear that Jesus goes into heaven and then sends the Holy Spirit uh, to his followers. Okay? Not all the humans, maybe we'll start with the followers. Because not all the humans in the story get that Holy Spirit. It's really the followers of Jesus who get that Holy Spirit. Okay? And the story goes that um, the, the Spirit gathers everybody together and uh, unites them as a people and then inspires them to do amazing things and be exactly like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to do miracles to say things that, they did, that were beyond their level of education about God, to uh, preach a profound message, to go to the end of the earth and to, um, to evangelize, to, speech, to speak the truth of God, um, to suffer things and die as martyrs, saying, God, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Stephen, one of the early followers, is stoned to death, and he, sa- he speaks the words of Jesus. So they become like him. The followers are becoming like him. And very early on, um, you have this sort of collection of followers that St. Paul says, are. he starts to try to articulate what is going on with this community. uh, And he starts to use big expressions that have a profound impact on this problem of Jesus is now in heaven. Um, One of those, if you read 1 Corinthians, he says, I pass on to you... The most important thing that I heard um, from Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed and that he died, he said, he broke bread, he gave it to his disciples, he said, eat this, this is my flesh, do this in remembrance of me. And he took wine and he said, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. And if you read the Gospels, you find that in in the telling of the the Gospel writers, um, there's Something essential about that meal where Jesus said, I'm going to stay with you by giving you my body and my blood in this ritual practice. Um, kind of strange, no? We want Jesus and we're getting like the body and the blood in this ritual prayer. But um, that's, that's a start. Somehow, um, the very presence of Jesus is alive and present to the church. If we needed to touch God, we needed to touch Jesus, we needed to taste Him, we needed to hear Him. Uh, Here's part of the solution. Um, One of the first things is the Eucharist. Um, This meal where Jesus had claimed that bread and, and wine can transform into His body and His blood. If you need to touch gods, you want to get close to the gods, well, here's... Um, here's one way that you can eat my body and drink my blood. Strange. <laughs> uh, the, the ancient Romans condemned Christians for being weird cannibals, <laughs> and they were. Um, it's not it, well. He, luckily, he kind of leaves the leaves the the body and the blood in um, in the form and the substance of bread and wine, so that we don't all throw up and get really. <laughs> Freaked out, or try to replicate this with people, or something very strange. Okay, um, so one of those things is that you're, you actually get to touch Jesus. Um, you get to connect with him in the in the Eucharist. Um, Jesus also gives them other sacraments. He says, when he comes back from the dead, he appears to his people and he says, "I give you the Holy Spirit." All authority in heaven and on earth that belongs to me has been given to you. Um, if they listen to you, then they listen to me. And if they listen to me, then they hear the voice of the Father. If they reject you, they reject me. And if they, reje- they reject uh, me, then they're rejecting the Father. Somehow he says uh, his voice, his authority, his, um, his teaching is going to remain present with this group of followers in um, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority that he gives them. Okay, so when they hear your voice, they're going to hear my voice. Um, okay, question. Sorry, going back to the Eucharist, mm-hmm. after that happened the night before, did he say something along the lines like, pass along this tradition? Where did, when did Catholics begin that
1: tradition, or yeah. Just because it was in the Bible and, and a group of people thought, hey,
0: I think this is a good idea to practice or Yeah. Well, uh I our claim is that Jesus did it the night before he died, and then uh they did it every they they did the same meal and celebration, um weekly at least, if not daily for a while. It's ambiguous. At the beginning of Acts of the Apostles, it said they gathered constantly in the houses um, and broke bread together. Um, that was a ritual practice that goes back as far as we can see. Um, St. Paul, his, his letter to the Corinthians is one of the earliest that we have it's, uh, from a, around 60 A.D. And he, uh, he is attesting to this ritual practice already You know, in that time. That was... Thirty years after. So there's kind of like a, an obscure window. Um, if you look at a document like the Didache, that is not in the Bible, but is a historical document probably from the first century, it's very explicit about the ritual that Christians go through. On Sundays, before the sun rises, to honor the coming of the sun and the return of Jesus in the resurrection, we gather together and We break bread together, we confess our sins to each other, and um, we share a a meal as we praise God. Um, It's real explicit about all kinds of practices and structure of the church. Um, Other documents that are easier to to date, because the Didache is kind of hard to date, but it's probably from the first century. Um, Ignatius of Antioch and Polycarp, who are writing uh, Christians who are writing at the turn of the century, 110 AD and 120, um, both talk very explicitly about um, the Eucharistic practices of the Christians. And Justin Martyr in 150 is probably the most. So um, I could kind of give you I could give you links and stuff to the um, earliest kind of attestation to Christian practice. But everywhere you see Christian practice reported you see the practice of this Eucharistic meal. Yeah. yeah, do this in memory. Every time you come together to remember me, do this, uh, do this ritual prayer, which was a ritual that was taken over from Judaism, probably a Passover and another kind of prayer called Toda, Thanksgiving prayer, combination that Jesus sort of invented for that prayer. Okay, so uh, let me just, let me just uh, fill this out one little bit so we can finally make sense and, and bring it around. So Jesus makes himself present in various ways, like ritual practices, like a connection with the apostles. Um, the apostles uh, are given the promise that, that the Holy Spirit will protect them. In John 14, if you want to look into scripture, the uh, Holy Spirit will protect them and will reveal all things to them. Um, Finally, I think it's very important to note that um, St. Paul talks about the Christians in uh, a particular way that's very important. He says, um, both personally and as a group, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says, "I make my, in my life, I make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Jesus. He, he says, uh, I am being conformed to the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Somehow he's, he's expressing that his own life has become the life of Jesus in the world. He doesn't, say, he doesn't go so far as to say, I am the only one. I am the reincarnation of Jesus or something like that. He just says, I share in the life of Jesus. And he says, the whole body of Christ, you are being conformed to the church that he started... He says, you are being conformed into the body of Christ. You have become the presence of Christ in the world. Um, that's a bold claim. But uh, that really becomes this, this uh, foundation of Christian uh, of theology. That, that really the church, the body of Christ, the people, the followers... Um, you can sort of argue about how you become a follower of Jesus, how you become part of what we were calling the church, this group that follows Jesus. Um, for, for the longest, like as far as we know, the, Jesus um, invited uh, the, the apostles to teach baptism as the, as the formal way into the church. That if you are baptized, you become a member of this church Uh, you become the presence of Jesus in the world. Um, Okay, so here's another bold claim. That it's not... uh, That the the problem of Jesus going into heaven and then being uh, absent from the world and inaccessible is now solved by the fact that Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit into the church, into the world, uh, to gather people together into this church that will be his presence in the world. Jesus says things like, um, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Uh, He starts to take, before he dies, he had started to take uh, certain claims that seem to belong to his own person and start to say this about about his followers. Not only give them his mission and his teaching, but his very life. They're becoming... Jesus in the world. Um, So the Christian claim down the line is that if you want to connect to God, you have to encounter Jesus, and if you want to encounter Jesus, you have to encounter His Church and its practice and its uh, its religious practices. Some some of which are ritual, like the Eucharist, like baptism. Um, some of which are uh, kind of moral mandates. Go and serve the poor. Um, that's part of being Jesus in the world, part of being the church. Um, recognizing that the Holy Spirit is alive and preserving truth of, the truth of Jesus and his presence in the world, somehow alive in the church and its teaching as it grows through time. Um, and now, 2,000 years later... We are making the same claim that if you want to encounter, you want to encounter God, then th- the way to do it is to encounter Jesus, and uh, the way that He's accessible to us um, is through our senses. It has to come through um, the way that we come to know by touching, by tasting, by hearing His voice, by encountering um, Jesus in. The body of Christ, the other people, the practices, the teaching, um, everything that belongs to the church. The sacraments. um, Encounter with the church becomes encounter with with Jesus. And encounter with Jesus becomes uh, that perfect religious fix to the encounter with God. Okay, finally, I want to just point out the big flow of this story uh, changes from this is really all about human beings trying to fix our predicament and uh, kind of get out of our problems and reach out for the gods to a discovery that in fact the whole story of humanity is that God, this loving father, created a son. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Created this son uh, 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 no, not created the Son. Somebody fix me on that one. Don't say created the Son. Uh, <laughs> looked at His Son, eternal, this, this eternal love of a Father, of, of a Father looking at His Son, the love that we call the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, in in that love said, I want to give you a gift. Um, I want to give, give, give you a gift of this, this beautiful thing that is the universe. God makes this universe. God makes this uh, this this universe so perfect that it it evolves to the point where it has it, it can it can hold free beings who can love like God himself. And this this is the image of God in us: the ability for us to love, to 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 want to look at another one and say, "I want to give you myself. I want to, I I, I, lo- I love you. Uh, I choose you." freely. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, that God made this, all of the, the, the hu- of the human reality as a part of this story. But because of the fall, we've been confused and searching for God in the dark. And then Jesus, the light of the world, comes into the world and is, is still present, uh, drawing human beings to himself and then offering himself back up to God, the Father, as um, as a a loving gift. I'm going to take this humanity, I'm going to make them perfect, I'm going to draw them to myself, this one that you love, I'm going to turn them into me somehow, as close as they can get, and then return this gift of love. Somehow we've we've become a part of this incredible story. And that's why I say um, at the end, in, in the end, that God needs religion. Because... If God's going to see through this beautiful story, there's got to be a way for God to make a free being that isn't a puppet, that he can't just, he can't just tell what to do, but can freely choose him back. And then he's got to win over their heart, and he's got to win over their love, and That's who Jesus becomes in the world. And that's what we get to share in the mission of Jesus and be a part of that. That's the beauty of religion. And that's why I love to challenge the atheists. Uh, I like to challenge the atheists to be a part of the story, you know, to not see it as a fix, as a drug for us to escape problems, to not see it simply as an expression of human creativity that's all uh, made up, But to invite the possibility that we are part of this wildly grand story of love that's all expressed through um, the beauty of creation. Um, That we don't just appear in a world and then try to find our way, but that it makes sense. And that it's a really beautiful story that we can participate in. Um, And we participate in it by being close to Jesus, by being a part of the church, by living a Christian life. Okay, that's that's my claim. (laughs) <laughs> that's a bit that's a lot um, but I wanted I love the world's religions and I hope you recognize um, that this lesson it really comes from that it comes from an appreciation I love human beings and I've come to love them through knowing Jesus and knowing the father who made who made everybody so lovable and um, I, I bless you I um, invite you to keep pursuing the questions if you have a lot of doubts Don't worry about it. God's not threatened by doubts. Um, You can can walk that road. Uh, This is a patient God who's always slowly inviting us to be closer and closer. Um, If you're ready to encounter Jesus in the sacraments and to participate in the Catholic Church, which we believe is uh, the body of Christ, attempting to bring people in um, to relate them to God, and to connect with God as best we can, um, in a way that Jesus has revealed, then um, I look forward to uh, seeing more of you in the RCIA program too. Now, okay. Oh, there's a question back here. Absolutely. Yeah, they're 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 fishermen from the country. They're somewhat educated in Judaism. Um, there it by any at least the report that we get I, which i think is credible um, they are kind of bumpkins who make a lot of mistakes <laughs> and like you say are cowering in the upper room uh, but jesus remember jesus said i have to go away if i don't go away then i won't then i can't send the spirit you won't get it i mean think think about that. i like to think about this sometimes if if jesus was still here What would that mean for us? Would we be following him? Would we trust him? Could we all have access to him? Especially throughout history when you didn't have like Twitter. But even if you did, if some Jesus tweeted me today, (laughs) I'm not sure I trust people. Uh, This is a big plan. And somehow, the grace of God reached my life through the Holy Spirit in the world, through the church, through the sacraments, throughout history. 2,000 years later, I feel like I know this guy. I actually know Jesus. I'll say that, and I know it, it can make you look like a fool, um, but I, it's one of my deepest convictions. Um, like, my, like I know my parents, you know? Um, but I think that really comes from um, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the presence. It, it builds. It builds people into uh, the body of Christ in the world. Jesus into the world. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay, God bless you.